This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform, developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, is right for you. Free to residents, ROC is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's been authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are tuned into our OITE slash our board review series featuring myself, which I am Dr. Cole, and Dr. Woolwine, Dr. Spencer Woolwine. And we are just trying to go over some of the high yield topics in spine. You know, if you listen to the last one, we just finished through with our lumbar degenerative conditions and now we will continue with some more spine because there's there's more spine to go (laughs) so if this is your first time welcome to the podcast if this is your second third or fourth time or even more welcome back we hope that you enjoyed it and we hope that you have subscribed to the youtube channel by now we are really trying to get our youtube subscribers up because we have a lot of cool content on youtube so without further ado let's go ahead and hop into today's episode You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. We are back again talking some more spine. We talked some degenerative back in the past. Now we're going to talk a little bit about everybody's favorite subject, adult spinal deformity <laughs> so uh, so uh, let's uh let's get into it um speaking of like adult spinal deformity uh spencer so say you know a patient comes in your clinic and they and they're found to have like some type of spinal deformity are most patients who have adult spinal deformity symptomatic or are they asymptomatic typically these patients are going to present well so so typically they are asymptomatic um and uh, why we say they're asymptomatic is um, when you have an adult spinal deformity and by the time you develop that deformity and when you typically present to a clinic, there's definitely a lag time where you're not like having a perfectly straight spine with normal lordosis and kyphosis at the points where you're supposed to. And then you get a deformity and then you're in the orthopedic clinic the next day because of pain, it, it forms over time and they're typically asymptomatic, but when they are symptomatic, um, things like back pain, uh, progressive deformity. So they'll say things like, especially like a kyphosis, let's say, um, it'll typically be the patient's family member will say, we saw them hunched over five years ago, but now it's really hard for them to lift their neck up to C straight. Uh, and then mm. occasionally and very rarely will they actually present with true myelopathy or radiculopathy. And um, they oftentimes, if they're going to have some of these other more progressive symptoms, they're going to have some sort of neuromuscular disease, either from adolescence or has since developed it into adulthood, like Parkinson's or something like that. And so, uh, like we've kind of gone through with a bunch of other stuff is kind of the workup for these patients. So what sort of imaging are you going to get? Yeah. So, 
you know, orthogonal images. So it's going to be an AP and a lateral of the spine. But things to know is that instead of using a regular cassette um, to get the x-ray film, you use a, a 36 inch cassette. And if you think about it, 36 inches is like three feet. So pretty much what you want to do is you want to be able to assess all the way from the clavicles all the way down to the iliac crest. So you want to, you know, see their clavicles, see their entire spine, see their pelvis and their iliac crest. So you want to at least get an AP and lateral on those 36 inch cassettes. Now we talk about um, deformity, you know, we talk about coronal plane and sagittal plane deformity, like coronal plane, we're looking at an AP and the sagittal plane when we're looking at a lateral film. Which one of these, you know, deformities, coronal or sagittal plane is most, uh, mostly associated with disability? Uh, that's going to be the sagittal plane, and um, we will cover it here uh, coming up in the future. But um, typically, it's how far their sagittal distance is from C7 to S1 on that lateral is going to correlate the most with their disability. And um, so say, say we're looking at the sagittal, um, we, we have a bunch of different angles and measurements and all of that sort of stuff. But what are the main ones that we are measuring and obtaining and uh, kind of using to come up with a plan for these patients? Yeah, this is, you know, again, so this is something that we're getting from looking at a lateral x-ray. And I think we have a, we had a recent episode, not recent, but a while back, Dr. Robert Cho talked about um, scoliosis and, and went over a lot of these different lines that I'm about to talk about. Um, but the easiest way is whenever I mention a line, you just go and Google it and, and look at it. It'll make a lot of sense. Um, but one of the things that we're looking at when we're trying to assess sagittal balance is you can look at the C7 sagittal vertical, vertical axis. And this is that line you were just talking about. So you just get a, a you draw a straight line from the anterior aspect of C7 straight down to um, S1 or the posterior aspect of the S1 or the sacral, you know, the first sacral uh, segment. And the normal is for this line to be within five centimeters of that posterior aspect of S1. So again, drawing a line straight down from the C7 vertebra, the seventh cervical vertebra. And normal again is this line to be within five centimeters of the posterior aspect of S1. So patients can be either neutral where it's right in between there. They can be positive where that line is way in front of where, um, where the S1 is. So they're like really kyphotic, really hunched over, or it could be negative. So it could be behind that. Another thing to look at is the lumbar lordosis. We know that we have a natural lordosis uh, to the lumbar spine. And what you can do is you can actually just look at a Cobb angle between um, T2 and L1, I mean, T12, um, T12 and S1 or L1 and S1. And typical lordosis somewhere in the lumbar region is somewhere around 60 degrees. Uh, other thing to look at is the T1 pelvic angle. Um, so this is going to be something where you get the center of T1 and you draw a line from there to the femoral head and then um, align to the midpoint of the S1 end plate. And it's that angle that is formed between those two lines. Again, that's gonna be aligned from center of T1 to the femoral head, and then aligned to the midpoint of the S1 end plate. And that angle, um, the normal, uh, it should be kind of the surgical goal should be within 14 degrees. So you kind of want it to be less than 14 degrees, that angle. 
So those are three things. <laughs> so that's the C7 sagittal vertical, vertical axis, the lumbar lordosis that the patient has, and the T1 to pelvis angle. And, you know, the important thing for those is you're just trying to figure out how, what you're trying to correct and how far it is off from normal. Other things to look at that we mentioned a little bit earlier in our, one of our earlier talks was like kind of the pelvic incidence and the pel pelvic tilts and the sacral slope. So pelvic incidence, and again, one of the best things to do is just look at an x-ray or just Google pelvic incidence and it will make a whole lot of sense. But the pelvic incidence is the angle of these two lines. The first line is going to be the midpoint of the S1 end plane to the femoral head. And then the second line is going to be a line perpendicular to the S1 end plate. And this line is something that is, just, is constant and it's related to the lumbar lordosis. Uh, the pelvic tilt, on the other hand, this is going to be the angle um, between the line made from the midpoint of the S1 to the femoral head and a vertical line. And this is something that varies with position. So this increases when you have pelvic retroversion. Uh, again, so the pelvic tilt is going to be the angle that's made from the midpoint of S1 to the femoral head and then a straight vertical line. And this again is going to increase or vary with position, increases with pelvic retroversion. And the last thing to look at is gonna be the sacral slope, which is literally just the line between the superior end plate and a line horizontal. So we just measured, talked about a lot of different things, but again, big things to know when you're looking at sagittal alignment and sagittal balance, is you wanna look at the C7 sagittal vertical axis, uh, look at the amount of lumbar lordosis they have, look at the T1 pelvic angle, look at their pelvic incidence, look at the pelvic tilt and their sacral slope. Now, I just said a mouthful. Um, one thing we did not mention was pelvic incidence. Uh, and what is, what is pelvic in incidence equal? So pelvic incidence is the sum of the sacral uh, slope and the pelvic tilt. And uh, we know that it's a constant um, angle because as you move the pelvis uh, throughout the sagittal plane, whether it is tilted more uh, anteriorly or tilted more uh, posteriorly, the pelvic tilt and sacral slope angles are going to change, but the pelvic incidence is going to stay the same. And so um, you had briefly uh, mentioned like the pelvic tilt increases with pelvic retroversion. And so what happens to the sacral slope is it is going to decrease so that the pelvic incidence remains the same and then vice versa for pelvic anaversion. The pelvic tilt will decrease and the sacral slope then increases. Um, and typically when you have a larger uh, pelvic incidence, you have a more horizontal uh, sacrum and you're gonna have a greater compensatory lumbar lordosis. And <clears throat> the lumbar lordosis is one of the things that you had uh, mentioned in your kind of sagittal measurements that you want to uh, look at. and. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROC. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, 
Rock covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to Rock content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. When we get into the kind of surgical correction of uh, adult spinal deformity, restoration of lumbar lordosis is a key component of um, restoring a patient's sagittal balance and uh, basically ensuring that the patient is going to have the best outcome. So once again, uh, because it will come up in spine, it'll come up in joints. The pelvic incidence is the pelvic tilt plus the sacral slope. And so uh, we, we mentioned some of the lumbar stuff, uh, but what about uh, cervical deformity measurements? How, what are we looking at there? Yeah, this is, these are going to be things like the chin to brow vertical angle. And I mean, if you think of it, it's, it's literally what it sounds like. You get a, a line from there, like eyebrow to your chin and that angle along with the vertical axis or, or line straight up and down. Like you, if you just think about it, somebody's really kyphotic, they, there are a lot of videos out there, actually. There's one like viral video that went viral like a year ago that had a, an Asian patient that had a really bad kyphotic deformity and his chin was basically on his chest. Um, and, you know, he had to go undergo multiple procedures in order to, you know, correct his, uh, his sagittal imbalance. But um, that is the, um, the chin to brow vertical angle. Other things you can look at, just like with the lumbar spine, you can look at the amount of lordosis. So you can look at cervical lordosis. Um, you could look at the um, uh, the cervical, uh, sagittal, vertical axis, as well as a T1 angle, which is some of the things that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Now, I mean, all this stuff is cool. You know, we talked about the pelvic tilt and the pelvic incidence and, you know, how, you know, the large incidence or the more horizontal their sacrum is. They may have some compensatory lumbar lordosis. But why do we, you know, what are the indications to operate or, you know, on these patients that have an adult spinal deformity? Uh, so, uh, yeah, some of the uh, indications, I'll briefly, just for the sake of uh, staying consistent with all of our prior uh, podcasts and just let everybody know that if you haven't figured this out yet, now's the time that non-operative treatment is going to include <laughs> non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, physical therapy, corticosteroid injections, and bracing. And I could hide the entire question stem, and it could be pertaining to ankle pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, wrist pain, whatever. Non-operative treatment will always be Advil, therapy, possible steroid injection and bracing. Same thing with spinal deformities as well. So uh, that's just a kind of a side note for, for those that haven't quite figured out what the non-operative treatments are yet. But, uh, <laughs> right. moving, moving on to operative indications. Um, these, a lot of these patients are sick and you, you really need to be strict with your operative indications because they they can go south pretty quick and uh, you want to make sure that your patients are in as good a health as possible. So um, 
One is if they have progressive coronal or sagittal deformity, meaning they are proving to you that over a series of clinic visits, radiographs, and physical exams, whatever deformity they may have, whether it's adult-associated uh, uh, scoliosis or uh, progressive kyphosis, um, these patients are showing you that they are unstable and that they may benefit from a surgical intervention, not necessarily to restore their uh, perfect spine, but to prevent more deformity from ha happening. Um, those who have uh, claudication or radiculopathy with no non-op treatment improvement, so the non-op treatment that I had mentioned before, if they have proven that uh, facet joint injections don't work, uh, therapy they've tried only made them worse, activity modifications made uh, no improvement, then you can consider operating on uh, those patients. And then also consider the patients that have lost uh, their independence. If, if they are now requiring in-home care because of their deformity and inability to ambulate, or if they uh, have required a family member to take time off work or to stop their lives, then you may consider helping them try and get their independence back. Um, some of the other indications include uh, like a curve that is uh, greater than 50 degrees. Um, those that have a large sagittal imbalance, we know that they will progress. And uh, some will say for cosmetic purposes, but uh, a lot of spine surgery is not uh, an, an elective thing, especially when you're dealing with adult spinal deformity. It's more out of a need rather than a want. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not like you're you're making someone's boobs bigger or something. It's it's a definitely a different uh, <laughs> it's a different uh, animal that you're dealing with when you're when you're talking about spinal corrective surgery. So uh, again progressive curves, intractable back pain that does not improve with non-surgical means, uh, sagittal imbalance, and to help gain somebody's independence back are, are pretty good surgical indications. And, and they will give you pretty obvious indications for uh, things like that on an exam. Like they won't give you a, a curve that's at 45 degrees. They'll show you a curve that's 70 degrees or a curve that's 20 degrees and ask you if that's going to uh, qualify them for surgery. And obviously you're going to choose the 70 degree curve. So um, now that we know that we're going to operate on this patient, they have a, uh, I don't know, they, they have a deformity of 65 degrees and it's progressed over the last six months uh, of clinic visits. Um, what are some surgical options you can uh, provide these patients? Yeah, you know, so, you know, it depends on, you know, kind of your clinical symptoms and what all is going on, but some patients um, can undergo decompression alone. You know, these are maybe the patients that have um, some type of radiculopathy and they have a stable deformity, you know, there's no slippage or their sagittal imbalance isn't too, too bad. Uh, but you also must know that, you know, decompression um, could also worsen their post-op deformity. You can also um, decompress them and do a fusion. So kind of an insight to fusion where you fuse them right where they are. Uh, if they have, you know, ridiculous symptoms 
uh, that hasn't gotten any better. Um, you know, if, if there's any progression, you know, of the of the imbalance, decompression, infusion, and then you can also do a decompression with deformity correction and then long fusion. So these are going to be kind of the patients that you're describing when you ask the, the first question, you know, patients that have, you know, really bad degenerative deformity, or they have a, a long scoliosis curve, or they have apical vertebra subluxation. So apical vertebra, you look at, I mean, kind of the top um, uh, vertebra, and you look for the subluxation of the other vertebral bodies. And the goal for this is going to be to restore sagittal balance. And this actually may even require some osteotomies or anterior column support. Uh, but, you know, important things to know about, again, when we're restoring sagittal balance is to think about some of those angles we were talking about a little bit earlier, like the T1 pelvic angle. I don't know if anybody remembers, but that was the angle from the center of T1 to the femoral head and then to the midpoint of the S1 end plate angle. And a kind of surgical goal for that angle is to be less than 14 degrees. So there are a lot of different angles. Again, the C7 sagittal uh, vertical axis, you want that within a certain amount of um, you know, centimeters. And I'm sure there are way more things that are way more in depth than the scope of this podcast uh, that are numerical or surgical parameters. But just know, you know, these patients that have uh, really bad deformities and these uh, really bad spine symptoms or back symptoms, those may be patients that could qualify or may be better with a decompression with the defection, deformity correction and a long fusion. And if the sagittal imbalance is really bad, it may require an osteotomy or removal of some bone or anterior column support. Ooh, I know that was a lot to digest. You know, spinal deformity is very complex. But then again, we appreciate you listening to this episode. And hopefully you tune in for the next episode and we will finish up some spinal deformity and then talk a little bit about lumbar spine trauma and we will continue on. All right. If this is your first time listening, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hit the subscribe button so you stay updated whenever we drop something new. And check out our YouTube channel. We have a lot of other things on there, including some surgical technique videos, approach breakdowns. So really go and check it out. We'll see you next week.